We're delighted that you could be with us this morning, and we're, our studies are in Romans chapter 8, so you can turn your Bibles there. We've been talking the uh, last few weeks. We've had a, a couple of, of weeks off for celebration of um, Resurrection Sunday and then Lord's Supper last week. So we're back to our passage, and it's actually uh, Romans 8, uh, beginning in 18, but I want to go back to verse 16 and read through 25, and our verses this morning that we'll look at and consider will be verses 23 through 25. Uh, so I'll pick up with verse 16. You read along, and I'll read out loud. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longings of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. For we know, and not only this, but we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And may God add its blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And let's uh, consider some of these wonderful truths uh, of our journey, each one that is trusted in Christ Jesus in the path to glory that God has set out before us. Uh, the message is that, that God has a future glory. There's a, a time when there will be a resolve, when Christ Jesus returns and takes dominion over this world. And the path to glory includes us. In fact, the scripture teaches in these verses that as the uh, sons of glory are revealed that the creation, the very world that we live in, uh, will uh, be, be brought into redemption, that there will be a, a, a return to the world without the curse, and what a blessed day it will be and the glory of Christ when he returns and we return with him. So uh, let's consider, and we want to look at um, and what it means from this, this theme that, that the Apostle Paul has brought from chapter 5, where he taught us that, that we not only boast and exalt in the, the hope of the glory of God, that therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained or, or uh, obtained access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt or we boast, we rejoice <clears throat> in tribulations knowing that tribulations works patience or perseverance, and perseverance works hope, and hope uh, or perseverance uh, works uh, proven character, and proven character works hope, and hope makes not ashamed, 
where the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. So this theme from chapter 5 that we are to rejoice in tribulation, rejoice in suffering in Christ Jesus is something that's, that's taught in the New Testament. It is uh, a very uh, clear passage uh, and truth that is covered in the New Testament in, in many ways. The Apostle Paul speaks of the fellowship of suffering, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed unto his death. So this process of life out of death and Christ going to the cross of Calvary because of sin and because of man's rebellion, and out of that, God doing the greatest and most miraculous thing for our redemption. Uh, God is taking uh, this process through the Lord Jesus Christ in the rebellion of mankind and the rebellion and the angelic rebellion as well. And he's, he's putting to death those things and bringing to an end evil on planet earth and in the heavens as well through the dominion of Jesus Christ. Uh, and there's a lesson, there's a tremendous lesson in regard to suffering for us as believers and in regard to God's calling for us and the very purpose for which we exist. And God has chosen in his sovereignty and in his calling and in his um, predestination and election of you to this time and place in human history uh, to uh, fill up the sufferings of Jesus Christ for the greater glory of Jesus Christ. This is a difficult thing and a difficult teaching in Scripture. Um, but we can say this, that there's a fellowship in the sufferings of Christ and that there's a journey, there's a path to glory through these things that God has planned for us, and it's good. It's all good. It's all meant for good. It's all for the greater glory of God and for the greater glory of mankind as well. Uh, so Christ will come uh, again, and Christ will put an end to the problem of evil. Uh, in the meantime, we're here to give testimony to God, to prove his good and acceptable and perfect will, to hold forth the word of truth in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation because this world is in rebellion against God and it will continue in its rebellion against God until Christ returns and judges the nations. In the meantime, we're to carry the gospel because God's desire in his heart is that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And that gospel, that good news is what we are to carry. It is what God has given to us uh, to carry to the world. And we boast in tribulation, in the hardship because we're good soldiers for Jesus Christ. We must learn to be good soldiers if we are to fulfill His calling and His purpose for us. And that what it means is that we seek first the kingdom of God, that with the compassion of God and the compassion of Jesus Christ, we love even our enemies, even those that are opposed to Jesus Christ, even those that are opposed to the gospel. We want to be with Jesus Christ when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because they're spiritually dead and lost in their sin. And God has one opportunity, one chance, one way for restoration, for redemption for, for mankind. And it's through the work that Jesus Christ did it's through the good news of the gospel. And these are the things that we carry and the things that we boast in despite tribulation, despite hardship, despite the fact that this world is in rebellion against its creator. And we have been called to represent him. <clears throat> it's our very purpose for existence. It's why God placed you here. So take up the cross. 
Follow after the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the path to glory. And it's my understanding from Scripture and from these passages that we must embrace the reality of that truth from Scripture to embrace the hardship, uh, to embrace uh, the compassion of Christ for the lost, to care about and to love what God loves. And it's a, a call of, of sacrifice, a call of giving of self for these things that God has called us to. Learn to boast in tribulation. And in these things we uh, can, had considered through verses 18, uh, beginning in verses 18, we consider and hope in the unseen future glory that God has given to us. Now I just want to go over those, those verses in 16 through 18 because it has to do with our future glory. And it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. First of all, in trusting in entrusting ourselves to Christ Jesus and to His salvation and to His power to save us from the penalty of our sins, we become children of God. And he told Nicodemus, a, a man that kept the law, a man that was a teacher of the law, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It was necessary for Christ in the new covenant to, uh, to supply that, that salvation and that means for us to be made spiritual, those who were spiritually dead to be made spiritually alive. And it's, we're made spiritually alive and we're made children of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if children then were heirs, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus, that is our future glory. So he's breaching this subject here. If indeed we suffer with him, so we also may be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Where was Paul's mind in times of suffering? What was he thinking? Uh, he was thinking, and, and, and here we see that the Apostle Paul had a, a vision and a view of the greater glory of God, of the path to glory. And that path to glory led him through some very, very difficult situations in such a way that he would say that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be considered. And he went through some very serious suffering in his, uh, his path in carrying the gospel and fulfilling the will and purpose that God had for the Apostle Paul. And we today, this morning, benefit from the work that the Apostle Paul did, or that God did through the Apostle Paul, as he, in faithfulness, pursued that greater glory. And that glory included you this morning. Because when he carried the gospel out of Asia and into Europe and the spread of the gospel, he went to Rome and these places for the spread of the gospel. It was for the greater glory and purposes of God. Uh, grab the significance of it and know that God has included you in his plan and his purposes and the greatest thing, the greatest glory that we can know is the power of God working through us that glory that he has intended, his will. That's why God's will is so important that we as his people are, are uh, by faith attuned to the spirit of God, attuned to the word of God in regard to the will of God and his purpose for us. And knowing the will of God is knowing the word of God that he has proclaimed to us these things that we're talking about this morning, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with this glory that God has given to us. So we consider these things, and that's what we talked about earlier in verses 18. We consider these things to be true, just as the Apostle Paul is speaking here. And secondly, our future glory will liberate the creation from the curse we want to consider that one day the lion will lay down with the lamb here on planet earth. That God is going to change things. He's going to change the natural state of things 
out of the present curse that was put upon the world because Adam sinned and and thorns and thistles and disease and sickness and all of the bad things that we know because remember that God initially created this world and everything that was in it, he said, is good. It was the six days of these things are good, these things are good, these things are good. And so something tragic happened. And sin and rebellion of mankind was introduced uh, through the angelic rebellion. And there's, a, there's a, a concert of things that are taking place in the redemption for mankind in regard to the angelic rebellion as well. So it's good for us to consider these things and to consider the purpose that God has for us in living and working through uh, this life, the days that he's given to us here. It's only here that we don't see him and we're not in his presence. In the future, we'll be in his presence. But now we express by faith. And I don't know why all of those reasons are, but I know that it has to do with mankind and the angelic rebellion and God working these things. We want to consider the future glory that God has given to us. And uh, our future glory will liberate the creation from the curse. It's the wonderful truth that he has given to us. And, and that brings us to our verse here in verse 23. So when we get to this passage, it says, and not only this, and not only this. And what is it saying? But it's saying that not only this, that, that uh, these uh, wonderful things uh, that are going to happen to the creation. The creation groans, and look in verse 22, and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, and not only this. Okay, so if the creation is groaning for this release that God is, is, is in his plan is going to bring, because notice that it said in verse 20 that um, the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, but in hope. And that in hope is the groaning of the creation, the groaning for the return of Christ, the, the groaning for the righteousness of the sons of God and that period of time that, that God programmed into planet Earth to know that, that this is not all that there is, that there is a utopia, that there is this, this, uh, this hope that mankind carries in his heart and even the world and the creation itself carries in hope of this future glory. Our future glory will include the redemption of our bodies. And it says, and not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, just like the world groans, just uh, as, as all of the longing is there in the creatures that, that live on planet Earth and in the thorns and the thistles uh, and the things that the curse brought on planet Earth, God has put it in hope. And that hope is a, a desire that's even in the lost person's heart. It's a hope for a utopia. It's a hope for, uh, for better days and better things and a, a, a plan for uh, even in man's lost, mankind's lost estate, he, he has this uh, eternity that God has set in his heart, a desire for a better day, for uh, something better. And so the, the communists, the Marxists, uh, look for a better day and they, they long for a perfect uh, form of, of, of government that will work right and that, that mankind will be freed from these social problems and cultural problems and worldwide problems that we have. We long for those things because God has set it in our hearts. And even the lost person has this longing. And uh, in their lostness, they don't know uh, what the path is and they, haven't, they don't, do not have light but they still have been given that longing. And it's always that opportunity for us as, as God's uh, people to present uh, to that, that longing, that deep longing that's in their heart, uh, the, 
the uh, glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he will bring. So it's not only this, but uh, we ourselves, uh, our future glory will in include uh, the redemption of our bodies. And we see that uh, not only this in includes the futility, that decay and death that we talked about for the, the world, um, and it includes that corruption, uh, that which is perishable, that which is mortal, that which dies, uh, death, is contrary to God and contrary to what uh, his intention was in creating Adam, uh, that, that we might dwell with God and fellowship with God for eternity uh, in, a, in an unperishable and uncorruptible way. But everything here corrupts. Everything uh, that we, we long for and that we seek for, uh, we find that that, that that law of entropy, that Second law of thermodynamics, it's winding down, it's, it's corrupting, it's, it's uh, uh, that, that process of death is at work in planet Earth. It's not eternal, but it's temporal. And, but, of course, the answer to that has been Jesus Christ and his righteousness. But we groan for the future glory. We groan. Not only this, not only does the world, but we ourselves groan for that future glory. It uses the same word there uh, in the earlier verses where the creation is groaning. And uh, we find that um, is, uh, this groaning is a, it's an inarticulate uh, utterance of painful and unsatisfied and sorrowful cry for, for deliverance uh, from a torturing experience. You know, this groan is, is deep, and it's, it's within mankind, it's within planet Earth, and, it's, and it has to do with the, the temporal perishing and corrupting nature of death and uh, the things that, that we face. We all face those things. So uh, we groan for our future glory, uh, and I, I put uh, this indwelling of the Spirit, your phrase there in verse 23, not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Because there's a, a great connection with what was said back there in chapter 5, that, that perseverance brings <clears throat> a proven character and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. This hope is a, a key word. Uh, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. Okay, so this connection has come in out of chapter 7 through 6 and chapter 7, and he comes back to this Holy Spirit and the, the, the gift of the first fruits and understand that the gift of these first fruits is that which he has, has given simply as a down payment for the future glory that we're talking about. The future glory that God has for us, uh, in, it, it included the first fruits of the giving of the, of the Spirit. So when we become born again, uh, the Scripture tells us that, that, that the Spirit of God indwells us until the day of redemption. And the day of redemption is that point in time where the, the redemption of our bodies take place, where this temporal body is done away with. Mort, mortal, mortality puts on immortality. The perishable puts on the, Im, the imperishable, that future glory. But the down payment for that is these first fruits that are mentioned here. Uh, and the first fruits is, is God's, uh, it's the beginning of God's committed transaction. But it's also a down payment for what is going to take place in the future. That future glory that's promised to the, the children of men when it says that, that when Christ appears, when he comes back, we shall be like him that this body of sin and death will be transformed. And that's significant to what we learned in chapter 7, right? Because in chapter 7, we kept 
the Apostle Paul said, I find this principle in me that is present in me, the one who wishes to do good, that evil is present there. And if evil is present there because of this body of sin and death. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Our flesh is contrary to God. Our body, this body of sin and death is contrary. In verse 2 of chapter 8, it says, The law uh, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And this is a prog progressive, ongoing thing. It's a struggle in each one of your lives because your flesh is mortal and it is, it is this sin and death that is in our bodies that the spirit wars against. And the scripture tells us that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because that battle and that struggle goes on until the day of redemption, until the completion and the future glory that this passage is speaking about and that the apostle Paul is encouraging the believers to carry on in the, the progressive nature of sanctification and the walk that we have with God that we may experience the, the fullness of that eternal life by faith uh, in the present and now, but look forward by continually looking forward to that future glory that he has planned for us. We are new people in Christ Jesus. He created you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, but behold, all things have become new. And God wants us reaching for those things. And the process of sanctification is teaching you the utter and complete dependence that is needed in a relationship of oneness with God that Jesus Christ prayed for. He prayed for his disciples. He said, Father, sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Father, may they be one as you and I are one. In Jesus Christ, he taught us what it meant to submit to the will of the Father. There at the cross of Calvary, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, deliver me from this, this cup and this suffering. Uh, but if you... Uh, do not, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's the, that's the process of sanctification. And, and the, uh, the Lord Jesus taught us about tribulation, about sanctification, that we don't, we don't love that cup that God has given to us, uh, but we embrace it, acknowledging that tribulation and distress and the sorrows in this world come from the Father's hands lovingly for a greater purpose, a greater thing, uh, purpose of good, just like for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's necessary for us to set our minds on those future glorious things. That's why it's necessary for us to, to recognize uh, the, the importance of this glory that God has set before us and to pursue it. Um, so um, we are to, to look at, at these things. And the, the Holy Spirit has, is the first fruit. He's the down payment of this future glory. And that spirit desires the things of God. It desires uh, the, the, the new covenant as it is described, as, as put uh, these new desires in our heart that the, that the word of God, that the, the truth of God is, is put and placed in our hearts as God's people. Uh, so those desires are there that because God's spirit has given them to you. Uh, to desire and seek first the kingdom of heaven is not something that's natural. It's not something that, that, uh, that we normally do. Uh, but God's spirit gives us that, that new hunger, that new desire, that new life when we've been born again. So the Spirit is the first fruit of our 
our salvation. I just wanted to give you a few things in regard to the the uh, the spirit uh, or, or the, the this doctrine of the first fruit. Uh, Christ is also mentioned as the first fruit of the church. Uh, and why? Why is that? You know, the, the passage there says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. So if Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection, what is God doing? He's, he's authenticating his, his plan, his purpose. He's giving us something, giving us something to know. Okay, so what we know is that if, if Christ has conquered death in the grave, then and he has told us that he is, is providing for us uh, forgiveness for the penalty of our sin, reconciliation to our God and Father, and that he has conquered death in the grave, uh, sin and death that reigns in our bodies. By his resurrection, that's proof of his word. It's the first fruit of the promise of eternal life that God has given to us. It's the future glory that we have and the evidence of the future glory, the first fruits, because the scripture teaches us that in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that the dead in Christ will return with him. The disembodied dead in Christ return with Jesus. And it says that their bodies are resurrected first. And then we who are alive, there will be a generation that is alive that are caught up with them to be forever with Christ. Forever with Christ. That's our future glory. To be with him at the resurrection. He was the first fruits. But God's plan is that when he returns at his second coming, that we return with him and the world's going to rejoice. This world is going to rejoice. I mean, the, the, the creation that groans will rejoice at the return and those coming with Jesus Christ. Christ was just the first fruits of what God is doing. And we have that to long for and to look for and to plan on in our journey that God has set before us. Make it your priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seek his plan. Know his plan. And lay your life down for, for that one chief and main objective that I may fulfill the, 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 the Father's will. That was our Lord Jesus. That was his heart. That's what he came for. That's what he did. Uh, that's what everything. He said, I do always the things which please my Father. Oh, I wish that I could be like that. I wish that I could just be, I do always the things that please my Father. But this body of sin and death is, is an issue. It's a problem. Sin. Christ didn't have that sin nature. Um, but our sin nature gets in the way. But we can long with the Lord Jesus and long after those things in our new nature. Uh, and we can take that battle on. <clears throat> this, the spirit warring with the flesh and uh, carrying on. There's other uses of the first fruits um, in... 1 Corinthians 15, um, 23, it says that, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that, those who are in Christ at his coming. Um, so, um, uh, okay, and then 15, um, okay, I've got a, a little bit of an error here. Uh, Stephanus' household was the firstfruits of the gospel in Achaia. Uh, so here the Apostle Paul mentions, Now I urge you, brethren, that you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the firstfruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Well, what does he mean there? The firstfruits, when we talk about the firstfruits in the Old Testament, uh, there, was a, a, uh, uh, there was the, after the Passover was the, uh, the festival of the first fruits. And it's when the barley har harvest came, the spring harvest came, and they would offer up these first fruits to God. Uh, and so the picture here is that Stephanus and his household were the first fruits of the fruit of the gospel in Achaia. They were the first to respond. And so there, uh, this this. Uh, terminology is used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And there's a, another passage here in 1 Corinthians 15, 
okay, it's not 1523, it's James 1.18, that the church is the first fruits among the tribulation and the Old Testament saints. And I would use this passage in James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of the first fruits among his creatures. So what are the second fruits and, and, and the following fruits of the church? If the church is the first fruits, then Old Testament saints, if we hold to the, the pre-tribulation rapture uh, and, and the, that the... The bride of Christ returns with Christ. Well, there's, there's those that, that go into the tribulation that, that respond to the gospel and they become uh, part of, of God's family. And so the tribulation saints, the scripture teaches us, are raised up. Those that, that were martyred during the tribulation. Uh, and then there's uh, the Old Testament saints are raised up uh, and they... Uh, go into the millennial kingdom. Uh, and uh, so we, we have these, these resurrections. They're, it's called the first resurrection. In Revelation, the second resurrection is the resurrection unto judgment and, and death and condemnation that Jesus Christ spoke of in John chapter 5 as well. So I don't want to go into to great detail about uh, the uh, first fruits and the resurrection here, but it is addressed here so it's, it's good for us to think about it. And you can do some more study along those lines because it's fascinating and interesting uh, study and takes you into many different things. But a, a third point that I would make is that we intensely long for our adoption as sons. Notice that it says that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. And I think that, that you know, if the Spirit of God's in our heart that, that we do have that longing for these things. You may long for certain things in this life and, and, uh, and that, that kind of thing with, without it being a distraction to this, but it should be first for us. It should be foremost that we have an increasing longing for this adoption of sons and the, the completion, the fulfillment of what we we're talking about, that we're heirs with God. And join heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's huge. But we need to think about it. We need to consider these things. We need to consider the gravity of what that means. And, and, and there needs to be a, a longing. If there's not a longing in your heart for these things, uh, for, for Christ to come and for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, then question yourself and ask why. Why don't I have that longing for these things? You know, what is it in this world that's distracted me so much that I've lost my first love for Jesus Christ and for the things that, that reading the scripture here, this, this should be something that, that is, is true of me. And, and we need to, to, to look at that and consider that in our hearts and our lives. Uh, do, are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Do we have the desire that God would have us to have in Christ Jesus? Is His Spirit there and is He working us? Are we grubbing around in this life with the perishable and, and temporal things that are passing and that are meaningless? And yet the, the love of Christ, the expression of God's love for us and His desire for our, our redemption, our salvation, and for deliverance from, from so much of this, these, these things and, and sin here and that which is contrary to God and contrary to His righteousness. Long for it. If you don't have that longing, ask God to give it to you. God, give me the longing for the... Help me to love the things that you love. Love our missionaries. Love what they're doing. Love... That's why we put them up there this, this morning. We want for you to know that these are significant things and that we're involved in it, that we have this relationship with God, that we're engaged in something that's bigger than, than what we are and who we are and where we are here in San Marcos. It's God's plan. It's what He's doing. And there's no limit to what God will do through us. Absolutely no limit if our hearts are given to the things that God, our fathers, has, has, 
has willed for us and desired for us. It's the thing that we should long for and we should increase in our love for God and our love for these things. Intensely long for your adoption as sons because the world that's groaning will quit groaning because there will be joy here like nothing that we've, that we've, I mean, just things that we've tasted of here, just a little bit of taste that we've, we've seen in this fallen world with our fallen natures. Uh, there's glory. There is future glory for us in Christ Jesus. A fourth point, the second coming of our resurrected bodies with Christ marks the liberation of all creation. That's a wonderful thing that God has done. It is glorious. It should make us happy. We should sing about the unclouded day. There's an unclouded day. There is an unclouded day that God has planned for you. It's a future glory, a, a time of great celebration and joy. Uh, like we just, because everything is perishing, everything is passing away. Death is here. Death is on planet earth. Death is in our bodies and, and perishing things and corrupted things. But in that day, in that glorious day, it will be alleviated. There's sin and death is bracketed. God's going to put an end to it. Through the power and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has put an end to it. And we're seeing the process of it. And we should, we should long eagerly for that day and for the second coming, because, beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. But we, will, but we know that when Christ appears, that we will be like him. To be like the Lord Jesus Christ, that's glory. That is glory in itself, because we will see him just as he is. There will be one day when we'll get to see the glorious face of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we'll know the full glory of what God has done through Him, and we will experience this future glory that is spoken of in Scripture. Think about it, consider it, and long for it. Verse 24 and 25, I want to read these together. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere and we wait eagerly for it. The point that we would make here is that our future glory is an eagerly expected unseen hope. Uh, it's like the Apostle Paul uh, when he labored in the gospel, he didn't know that you were going to be here. You were unseen. But his labors and the, the labors of the apostles that, that God sent out, uh, there, was, there was all of this thing that they were laboring for that, that they did not see and did not know. But they believed God and he believed his word, and so they labored. They stepped into the will of God and into the plan and the purpose of God, and it pays off. In, in Romans chapter 4, it was Abraham who against hope believed in hope. And we're here today because Abraham against hope believed in hope. And we call his name today, and there's glory to the name of Abraham because God did this miraculous thing through him, and only God could do it, but Abraham believed God. And that's what we're called to, right? We believe there is a purpose for our suffering. And that purpose is for a greater glory, a greater good that God is doing, just as he accomplished through the worst thing that ever happened on planet Earth when Jesus Christ, the righteous, was crucified on the cross of Calvary for your sins. And it was terribly unjust, uh, terrible and horrible injustice and terrible thing to be done. But God takes those things and he works them together for greater purposes and greater good. And we can trust God and God alone to do those things. We trust him as our Lord and God. We hope in him. Our future glory is eagerly expected as an unseen hope. Now, unseen is redundant, isn't it? Because hope is unseen. That's what these verses are saying here. 
the, the nature of hope is it's unseen. So to say unseen hope is, you know, it's really kind of un, uh, redundant to, to say an unseen hope because hope is something that you don't see. It's by the definition of the word. And that's what Paul's saying here in these verses. He says, now, he has this to say, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on my behalf his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You hear him? Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Are you willing? Are you? The Apostle Paul was. Was it worth it? Would he? Uh, I, I assume that in heaven they know certain things, being there with Christ. Uh, can he look at such things and and take more joy that he had on planet Earth as he was going through these things with unseen, that unseen hope. He carried unseen hope. Do you think that the Apostle Paul regrets any suffering or any uh, thing that, that, was, that he uh, didn't fulfill and uh, the, that which was lacking in the, the fulfillment of Christ? I think there will be, on my part, uh, some some anxiety, some longing at the judgment seat of Christ that I didn't believe more, that I didn't trust more, that I didn't throw myself more toward uh, that greater calling that God has given to us. Uh, but we have an opportunity, and I'm calling you in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power and the, the glory of His His Word, which is alive and powerful. I'm calling you... To, to lay hold, to consider the future glory. Consider this hope. Consider it in light of the present sufferings. Consider it in light of persecution. Consider it in light of hardship here and now for that future glory which God in His faithfulness and His goodness and His love for you has planned for you. It's worth it. It's unseen, but it's far worth the efforts. So believe it in your heart. Lay it to your life and let it change what you do, what you think and where you go and how you speak and how you act. That you're holding forth the word of truth in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That men may see your good works, they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Because you know why? Because only God can do these things that God does through us when God's people by faith lay hold of this power of the Holy Spirit. How, what is that power? That same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, that spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead also quickens our mortal bodies through that spirit which raised him up from the dead. That's awesome. We may know that. You may know that, brothers and sisters, you may know the power of God. You may know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of that first fruit. The Spirit of God that dwells in you as it quickens your mortal body. Know it. Believe it by faith because it's God's Word. And God's Word is true. He's able to do in and through you what you cannot do for yourself. And men will see your good works and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. And that's what our calling is. That's what our purpose is. That's why we're here. That's what God has called us to. So let's lay hold of it as his people. The unseen glory. Our unseen hope is in the integrity of Christ's word. It's in the integrity of his word. God's word says these things. Believe it and lay hold of it. And lay hold of it in such a way that it's not just knowledge in your head, but it's activity in your physical life in every area of life don't just have church in church take christ into the world take christ into your workplace take christ into all that you do by his spirit working in through you by faith just let christ have what is his let him have you let him have all of you our unseen hope is in the integrity of Christ's word. He who sits on the throne, Jesus Christ sits on the throne at the right hand of his Father. 
Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Do you believe it? Do you believe these things that God has said? I'm running out of time. There's, I'm, I'm reading a book, and the book is, uh, it's sweet music. <laughs> yes, just love that life, you know. Um, I'm reading a book called Live Not By Lies, and there's a, uh, there's, an author, his name is uh, Rod Dreer, um, that put this book together. But he, he does a, a series of interviews, and and there's a a, a person in the, in the former Soviet Soviet Union that, that started doing interviews with those that had suffered tremendous hardship and persecution under the communist regime, and so he he just his conclusion at, at looking and interviewing all of these uh, persecuted saints was that he said, I went looking for victims, but what I found was heroes. Uh, and he, he turned, his whole perspective turned after interviewing a, a series of, of these different uh, persecuted saints to, um, uh, to, trying to avoid and, and thinking in terms of avoiding persecution to, uh, to looking beyond uh, to the, the settled and peaceful inner peace that these, these saints had and something that they had that others did not uh, express. He said, you know, I, I toil and, and labor over things, uh, but these, these people, uh, without, without exception, uh, were at peace, had this inner peace that was, was uh, a noticeable uh, difference in their lives. And, of course, many of them were, were dead. They were just talking to uh, the family of those that had been martyred. Um, but uh, it was a great thing. And God doesn't commit, but he may permit evil for some greater good. And, uh, and so we as his children may face some of these things. Uh, but the passage in, in Romans says that, that God's words are faithful and true. So lay hold of them. First Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls, uh, hope in the eternal, the eternal weight of glory uh, in the unseen. Second point here is that persevere with intense longing for the unseen glory. And I want to read to you a passage there. We have it on the the. Uh, projector there for you uh, but for all things are for your sake so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God therefore we do not lose heart but though our outer man is decaying yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory Far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, there's an eternal weight of glory for you. And, and some of us will experience more of that eternal glory that, uh, than others. Um, but none of us will experience that eternal weight of glory without the pathway uh, through suffering, without the pathway that Christ took. And uh, we, we look and we must learn to look and put the value and the treasure of those things which are eternal, those things which are not seen in our heart and the purpose of God in our heart to, to know these things. 
And a third and final point here, in hope we have been saved uh, to a future glory. Uh, Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give one to the one who thirst from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Uh, It's a wonderful promise that, that our Lord Jesus gives to us in the book of Revelation. In hope we've been saved to a future glory. Uh, I would just make um, just a couple of comments. How does God want us to respond to his word? It's just simple accepting it as true, right? So we love God because he first loved us. The ultimate expression of one's love is to lay down his life or their life for you. That's what Jesus did. And this is what Jesus did, and it's, it's what he did personally for you. If you've never received the word of Christ, that he that beholds the Son, he that believes in him has eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day, then believe his word. Uh, put your trust in what he said. And there is salvation because His integrity is good. He's able to do what he said he would do. He's able to take the penalty for our sin and has done that on the cross of Calvary. So what does does God desire from you? To trust him, to trust his word, to trust what he says. Have faith that he will do what he says he will do and he is able uh, to save you from the penalty of your sin. He's able to deliver you from the penalty, uh, from the power of your sin as well. And if you try to do this on your own or even with God's help, you'll fall short. But if you trust in your Savior, He'll save you. It's trust. It's faith. Sanctification comes in the same way that salvation by faith comes. Sanctification comes by faith in the power and the glory of God. So there's only, there's only one boast, and it's in the glory of God. It's on the, the salvation that Christ works in and through you. Give yourself to it. Give yourself to these, these truths, that the word that God speaks, it's, it's true. Jesus is your Savior and realizing the utter hopelessness of the human condition is an absolutely needed first step. Acknowledge the futility of your human effort and go to the Lord in prayer. Call upon Christ alone to save you. Whether it's salvation for you this morning or sanctification in some area of sin in your life, call upon the Lord God. It's what he wants you to do to respond to his word. Respond to his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, um, we give you thanks because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For you have rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. In Christ Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And he is our Lord Jesus. He's the radiance of your glory and the exact representation of your nature. And the Son of God is the image of you, our invisible God. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation and His humanity. And by Him, all things were created. In His pre-incarnate state, He created all things in heaven and earth. God, we give You praise and thanksgiving. The visible things and the invisible things, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by our Lord Jesus Christ and for our Lord Jesus Christ. He's before all things. And in him all things hold together. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is also the head of the body of the church. And we marvel that we at Grace Bible Church are members of that body. Thank you that after he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at your right hand of the majesty, of your majesty on high. And if any of us sins, we have an advocate with the Father, our Lord Jesus the righteous. And he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was your good pleasure for 
and all the fullness of God to dwell in him, that through him he might reconcile us in all things to himself, having made peace through his blood and through the blood of the cross through him. I say whether there are things on, in heaven or on earth, although we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, uh, in evil deeds, yet Jesus has reconciled us in his fleshly body through death in order to present us before him as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on Im immortality, and we'll know those glorious things. We long for the redemption of our bodies in that future glory and the inheritance with our Lord Jesus. Make this longing our top priority in this life, that we may apprehend that for which we were apprehended by the gospel of Christ, and that we may apply ourselves to reaching the mark of your high calling in Christ Jesus. For it's in Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen.